White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 573. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. And we are back. Andy Fix, are you there? I am here, Van. And I am here. I'm Van Allen Plexico. What is this show, Andy? Help me out. What show is it? <laughs> this is the Babylon, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. The longest name in podcasting, but it's important, right? Because it's Babylon 5, it's a podcast, we're reviewing it, and it's from White Rocket Entertainment. So there you go. They're all important we're, facts. We're not witty enough to come up with a snappy name for it, too. So. <laughs> Well, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say right now, since we since since it kind of came up, that the reason I came up with that great long name is so that when people search on podcast apps, it has Babylon Five Review in the name. I figure if we came up with some really clever name, it would be too clever by half, and it wouldn't come up in searches. Right. Like if we called it the, if we called it, you know, Sheridan's sanctuary or something it would never come up in a search so this way it comes up in the title search so that was my plan you you are wittier than i am that's well played <laughs> well there's a guy that reviews science fiction books has a podcast and he literally calls his show the science fiction book review podcast and my first thought was <laughs> that's a really lame name and the more i thought about it i thought this is a genius name because every time you search for i want to see reviews of science fiction book it comes up <laughs> it's great so here we are um we are here to review tonight two episodes including one which is really one of the most famous most decorated award-winning and impactful episodes of the entire series and we're already to it or almost halfway through season two and another episode which i'm genuinely curious what andy thought about and i guess he's probably curious what i thought about it so we're going to kind of discover each other's thoughts about that one together i suspect i know what andy thought about the first one and we're going to get to that in just a minute before that of course just a couple of things i want to remind you that if you are not listening to this podcast right now at uh via the babylon 5 review pod feed or website we do put it out a week later over the white rocket podcast, which is our kind of catch-all network uh, channel, but you can hear it a week earlier by going to babylon5review.podbean.com or going on you know, a podcast app and just searching for White Rocket Babylon 5 Review. So that way you can get it earlier. And if you want to get it even earlier, if you want to really get to the push the envelope and get to hear this show earlier, become a patron and I post it within a day or two after we record it. So you get it before the weekend rather than having to wait till Monday morning. So those are your options. Those are your options. And other than that, I'm pretty much ready to get into our first episode. Anything from you, Andy, before we go? 
No, sir. I'm ready to rock and roll. All right. Well, the two episodes we're covering tonight are 209, so Season 2, Episode 9, The Coming of Shadows, and 210, Gropos. So first up, we have 209, The Coming of Shadows, and would you... I, I can't force you to do the Gropos. Well, which one would you like to do? I'll give you the option. <laughs> which We kind of usually each take one summary, so which one would you like to summarize? I, I can do this one. Go ahead. <laughs> In this, in this episode, the Emperor of the Centauri Republic comes to Babylon 5 to give a speech, and uh, Jakar learns of this and uh, decides to take uh, some pretty weighty actions yeah, he does. Uh, against the Centauri Emperor. And then things fall out from there, and boy, do they fall out. Yeah. Um, so... And also, there is kind of a very, very, very minor subplot, which is a mysterious man seeks out Mr. Garibaldi, and we get a oh, sense that's of right. yeah, who that, he I is. Mean, that was, I mean, not minor in importance, but minor as in the guy only has like eight lines of dialogue throughout the the entire show. But yeah, just a that's couple a of tiny point. scenes. Yeah, that's I had forgotten because this episode is so consequential with regard to Londo and Jakar that I had forgotten. Yeah we get a certain cameo or two later on in it that had people's jaws on the floor the first time. I, yeah. I, I remember watching it on, on TV for the very first time way back when, and that cameo just, it, my jaw literally hit my, my chest. I was like, what? Yes. All right. Well, we're going to, and we're going to get to that coming up, but notable guest stars this episode, there were several. We've got yes. Fre- Frederick Lane, as Ranger, <laughs> he's not the only Ranger, but you'd think so from the credits. Malachi Throne, what a great name! That's like, yeah. um, that's like a you know, it, when when I edited and did the show running for Gideon Kane Demon Hunter, which is about to be reissued in a new paperback form, by the way, I'll I'll say something about that when that book comes out. Um, Kurt Busick co-created that character with me and a couple of other people. And in his introduction, Kurt talks about this naming method where you have a three-syllable first name and a one-syllable last name, like Solomon Cain. And Malachi Throne sounds like a pulp character with that same naming convention, like the the dark journeys of Malachi Throne. You know, something like that. Sounds like a pulp book, doesn't it? Um, Jeff Conaway as Zach Allen. He appears briefly, I guess. He's not yet part right. of the main cast, but give him time. Lou, Lou gets more airtime than, than Zach does still. Yeah. Lou. Oh, Lou. William Forward as Forward Rifa. Always good when Rifa shows up. He's a slime ball, but he's our slime ball, and he's fun. <laughs> Turhan Bay as the Emperor. What a great casting choice that was. Yeah, Makes that me- was perfect. Makes me think of Kareem Bay from from Russia with Love, and I love both of those guys. They're awesome. Neil Bradley as Kamak, who I'm familiar with mainly from the Babylon Five card game, because for like for the Narn, they needed as many Narn characters as they could get, so they used anybody that ever showed up on the show. <laughs> and it's funny because a surprising number of Narn characters in the B Five card game, their picture is a is a shot of the little TV screen in Jakar's quarters because you know how many narn characters do we see appearing on his little screen you know right right that's it and then this one was directed by janet greek who seems to get a lot of the big ones early on she does a she really does get a lot of the good ones and does a fine job with them all right do you have any random factoids or notes for this episode 
Oh, let me see here. I've got um There's oh, a few. the Ranger the Ranger we see uh two of the people that the Ranger left uh data crystals for with a message on them. We actually see one of the videos, we hear a brief tidbit of the second video mm-hmm. with the Len mm-hmm. and he actually left a third data crystal there. <laughs> no. <laughs> Whoa. I, I guess I took you for surprise. I thought since you read the book, you might know this. It's been a long, crystal. it's been a long time, Andy. I don't remember anything from the books. I'm gonna, when we when we come when we get to the end of the show and we review some other stuff, I'm gonna have to reread all the books. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember anything. He left a data crystal for Catherine Sakai, and in that message, Jeffrey Sinclair asks her to come visit him on Minbar. Ah, yeah, I didn't know nice. that, did you? I, I I snuck one in there on you. I probably knew it years ago, um, but yeah, that's cool. Um, emperor, the emperor mm-hmm. at first did in this episode did not was never named. Later, he was named Emperor Turhan after the actor that played him. Yep, that I did remember. That's all I. That's all I got. That's cool. Um, let's see, a couple of things. This episode won the 1996 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. And what is more, here is what it beat. Okay, here are the things it beat to win that award. It won that award over Apollo 13, 12 Monkeys, Toy Story, The Visitor from Deep Space Nine, and No Award. So that's pretty impressive to me. I think the Babylon 5 uh, TV show attracted more literary science fiction fans than any other science fiction franchise out there. Yeah. I, I, I honestly believe that. Um, I, yeah. I'd be curious to see how many, when you compare a number of Hugos that Babylon 5 won, compare that to how many Star Trek the original series won. I'd be very interested to see that. Yeah, I'm not sure how many it won. I don't mm-hmm. even. It came. Uh, Star Trek came on the air about the same time the Hugo started. Yeah, they may not have had a, a an award for for yeah. media presentation like that. But I mean, it, it the sci-fi literary sci-fi community embraced Babylon Five wholeheartedly. I mean, it was it mm-hmm. was impressive, yeah. um, and that may have had a lot to do with. Good golly, I can't think of his name. The the consultant, Harlan the science Ellison. fiction writer, who Harlan Harlan. Yeah, Harlan Ellison, of course. Harlan Ellison, only one of the the most famous science fiction writers of all time, and I slipped my mind. Yeah, uh, I think having him on board gave the the uh, um, show a lot of street cred, a lot of street cred with the Hugo crowd. So, yeah, no, I think so for sure. And he and Straczynski were always best buddies. There's it, there's a good bit about it in Joe's book. Again, I recommend becoming Superman. I, I said before I was very reluctant to read it. I put it off for a long time. I was put off by the title, but I got it later. I got it later. It wasn't him being egotistical. There was a lot more to it. And he talks about his relationship with Harlan. He also talks about how Harlan really kind of called him out on a lot of things. Like Harlan wouldn't invite him to gatherings. And finally, Joe is like, why don't you ever invite me? And he's like, because you're a big jerk at gatherings and you're no fun. So I don't want you there. (laughs) And Joe's like, that's fair. (laughs) So only Harlan could get away with that. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Uh, let's see, a couple other things. I love the musical fanfare for the Emperor. I'm going to try to insert that here. I mentioned previously that um, it's on the same track as the really cool musical fanfare from a couple episodes ago that the Explorer ship had. So it's cool. There's this one Babylon 5 music track from Christopher Frankie on the CD 
that in, the one track includes both of those. So Christopher Frankie was so good and at coming up with different light motifs. That that music really made that scene because that could have been just a really cheesy scene because the set was you know the set. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't very big or impressive or anything like that. Watching him the the room to that music really it, it made it much more impactful than what what it could have been. Yeah, absolutely. Londo at the council meeting at the end, he's wearing a cape and it almost looks black and it's the most sinister he's looked. I thought it was interesting that he's been in he's been in his when I'm in purple, I'm stunning, right? His purple jacket for all this time, but when he finally kind of turns heel in this episode and he really does, he's almost oh, yeah. in black and of course in future seasons his wardrobe changes slightly too as we'll see. Um I, I had a little note here. It's depressing to hear Sheridan making various threats to Londo about the Earth Alliance when we know full well the Earth Alliance is not very likely to back any threats up because they're so pragmatic, chicken, bad, whatever you want to say. We'll get to that in the analysis. And then I had a note. The Narn and the Centauri after this episode are now at war, which is a pretty drastic change in the status quo of the show. Yeah, your, your buddy will be happy that the war has finally <laughs> come upon us. Come upon us all. That's right. The war better come upon us all pretty soon. That was great. Okay. So, um, do you have any other comments or thoughts about this one before we get into the categories? Because this seems like an episode that I just want to make sure we've we've talked about anything in general that we need to. Uh, I think this is the first time we really get into uh, the heavy politics of all three branches or all three of the, the races, the the. Earth Force, the Centauri, and the Narn are all wrapped up together, um, and we really get an insight into the um, the Centauri uh, political scene, which I thought was kind of cool. We've always had hints and stuff like that, but it was it was neat to see people actually making power plays and political moves and all that. And then Earth, you know how how they were trying to you know, stick their nose in it a little bit too. And it, more interesting, this plays out next episode how how this affects. Earth politics and what's going on behind the scenes there. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So, what was your high point of this episode? And we always get into a bunch of details when we do this anyway. So, what was your high point of this episode? My high point was when uh, uh, the Ranger delivered, finally, after trying all episode, finally delivered the data crystal to uh, Garibaldi. And we see uh, Jeffrey Sinclair on there. That, because I, you know, I, he had been, he had been gone for, you know, several months from my TV screen. You know, I really liked him in the first season. And then there was that layover without, you know, any Babylon five. And then for the first, what, eight episodes, he wasn't on there as well. So to finally see him again, Mm -hmm. totally unexpectedly, the first time around, like I said, I I thought once he was gone, you know, gone from the series, he was gone that they just moved on. But to, to see him open up all sorts of, you know, crazy new directions that they could be taking this. And I, I was excited. So yeah, that, that was cool. And, and, Seeing that again, even years later, I still got that little shiver of seeing him on there. It's like, oh, he's back. It's like visiting an old friend. Well, and and even more because you and I have been on our discovery of appreciation of him more doing this show. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was cool to see a range. This is the very first stranger we've ever seen. That that needs to be yes. noted as well. Yeah, and it wasn't Mark. It wasn't one. It wasn't any others that we might know. It was like a kind of a generic guy. That was interesting. Right. Right. And um. You know, he had the, the the ranger, the shawl, and the ranger badge and everything. So he was a full-on on ranger. I thought that was kind of cool. There were a few Dragon Cons in the late 90s where you saw a number of rangers strolling around with the brown and everything. Yeah, you know, I uh, I 
post on the the Babylon Five Facebook group. You know, if if we do this live Dragon Con uh, podcast that we have been talking about, I, should I dress up as anybody? And and people mentioned I should dress up as as Marcus because of the, the beard <laughs> and the hair. So. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I I have looked into acquiring a ranger outfit. I like it. That's really cool. I've got my Sheridan costume. I just have to go on a crash diet for a couple of months before uh, <laughs> before September to be able to fit into it again. Even though I had it let out a little bit two years ago when I wore it, so I've been going the wrong direction, Andy. The, the, I am the expanding Russian frontier, <laughs> right. and I don't have very good borders either. So you can't. I, yeah, my borders are terrible. So there you go. Um, I I all right. I had Sinclair's reappearances on there for sure, but. The, to me, the high point in this episode isn't like a high point like, oh, I'm so happy, because that is definitely a happy moment, and it's a big, big, big moment. But for me, right. in for this specific episode, the high points for me were like the most dramatic, you know, big, big, big moments, and there's a tie. The first one is Londo's reaction when Jakar toasts the Emperor. Because right. Oh, my goodness. That was, that was heartbreaking. Oh, just looking at Londo's face yeah. as Jakar is saying, I misjudged the Emperor. He's not a monster, you know, and I think maybe this will be great. Apparently he's good, you know, we'll have peace, blah, 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 blah. And, and we know that as those words are being spoken, Quadrant 14 is getting blown away by the shadows pretending to be the Centauri. And right. Londo's, Lond- I mean, Peter Jurassic, I mean, come on. Peter Jurassic in this scene just kills it. He looks yeah. like... He looks like he's watching his grandmother being tortured to death or something. You know, he's just like, "Yep." Well, the other one that that tie is tied with is then when Jakar does find out what has happened, and he says, "They're doing it again," and that also just rips your heart out because, yeah, over the space of the season and a half, we've gone from thinking of the Narn as you know, dime store Klingons that run around and yell and scream and th- shake their fist to realizing that they were a people who were brutalized and enslaved for many years. And we've developed, I think, a good bit of sympathy for them. We kind of, we don't necessarily condone all their impetuous violence, but we certainly can understand where it comes from. And to see them becoming more sympathetic only to have this happen is just a double whammy. And, uh, you know, I have to say that uh, one of my very most favorite pieces of, of literature of all time is Romeo and Juliet, simply because it is so impactful, so emotionally heart-wrenching, that the tragedy in that. And this this episode, especially those two particular scenes, that it, it you almost get that same just heart-sickening feeling watching it. I, I knew what was going to happen. I knew, you know, I had seen this several times before, but I still got that same gut-wrenching, sickening feeling mm-hmm. watching, you know, Londo just react to what Jakar was saying. Oh, and I man. felt so bad for Jakar. I mean, mm-hmm. he was, oh, it was, yeah, it ranks right up there with Romeo and Juliet as far as, mm-hmm. as tragedies. Well, think about the emotional range that both of them, particularly though Jakar, goes through. Because Jakar begins the episode in a rage describing, I love, he says that the emperor, the Centauri, he's a monster, an aberration. And then he goes from that to, he's not so bad. He wants to have peace. That's great. We can, everything will be okay. And then he goes from that to, they're they're doing it to us again. And he goes from that to, we are now at war. You know, it's like he's come full circle to acceptance 
Right. And, and in that scene where he where he does that, they're doing it to us again. He conveys both anger, the the fury that he's mm-hmm. experiencing, and sheer terror. Yes. Yes. I mean, all all with just that one delivery of that line. I mean, it yes. was wow. It was it was Andreas, amazing. man. Andre Andreas and Peter in this episode kill it. Just kill it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also appreciated the little subtle bit where. When Jakar first decides he's willing to give his life to, to assassinate the emperor at the beginning, the a Kamak says to him, the Kari have, de- have deliberated for hours and they have endorsed your plan, which is to kill him. Okay? And then a little bit later when Jakar is about to go do it, He's recording his like his will and you know statement, his testament, whatever. Yep. And he says, "I do this on my own with no knowledge. With the, my government has no knowledge of my actions." So he's putting in that denial, even though we already know the government knows exactly what he's doing and has endorsed it. So I thought that was pretty slick. I mean, yep. it's obvious, but it's pretty slick still. So right, it's the kind of thing you expect from like a World War II or a Cold War movie. But I thought it was neat that Straczynski put it into like a, you know, he didn't have to put it in there, but it. It just kind of gave a little right. depth and realism to it. It, it. it it added that, yeah, like you said, a little bit of spice to the, the mm-hmm. politics. Yeah, yeah. I got to give a shout out to the great visual effects this episode. We know, we know now that because they're using those video toasters back in the day, uh, JMS would have to like write three episodes in a row where people are just talking to give enough time for them to make all the special effects. It took days and days and days to, to cook all these effects. Right. And so, but man, they look good in this episode. They absolutely did that. When that uh, Centauri fleet comes out of the jump gate and, and sidles up alongside Babylon 5, A, it looked cool as heck. I mean, it, it, the, the Centauri ships are really cool looking and that was neat to see. But B, you also get the, the feeling of the immensity of, of Babylon 5 because those, yeah. those ships look tiny next to it. The um, I had little the little metal models of all those that I built and painted. I've still got one of the Vorchans, little crescent moon ships. I had the big one, but it's long gone. It was cool. Uh, it was really heavy. It was like six inches long, made out of like pewter, and it was heavy. I had to paint that thing purple and gold and all. But I'll say this: this even more than the Babylon Five jump gate scene. There's a scene where uh, at quadrant fourteen, I guess it is where the three Vorchans fly overhead as the Narn fighters fly from the foreground to the background, and yeah. it looks spectacular. Yeah, it looked really good. Really yeah, good. And even the, yeah, even the, the attack by the shadows looked, looked really good. Yeah. And just you just reminded me of something. That, uh, that game that you were talking about with all the metal miniatures, mm-hmm. good, a good friend of mine used to work for that, that game company. It was a very tiny company, and he actually cast almost... Every single one of those mi- miniatures. Wow! Yeah, he's Holy got some cow. funny stories. Uh, he's got some funny stories about about that game and oh, man. and dealing more importantly dealing with Warner Brothers. <laughs> uh, well, I like that they were the ones that actually gave names or at least publicized the names. Of this that's how I found out it was a Vorchan. They never really say Vorchan on the show, but it was right. called a Vorchan. I just remember spending hours with a f- big metal file filing down the rough edges on those things yeah. and then painting them, you know, using the super, you had to use super glue. It took the skin off my fingers because I used super right. glue to hold them together. So I still yeah, got a got few some, of them. He, he's got some crazy stories about the designs, the, the naming of it, the casting of it, the dealing yeah. with, with the licensing people at Warner's. He, oh, it's, it, it's hilarious. I bet. Um, Let's see. What about the low point? I had a hard time finding a low point for this particular episode, as one might guess. What was your low point? I had to really dig deep and get really super nitpicky, but my low point was uh, the prime minister 
he was a fine actor, but man, he just looked like a bum. He, I mean, just his unshaven face and he was kind of frumpy. I mean, he, he looked like uh, just some dude they pulled off the street for the role. And I know he's a fantastic character actor and he did a good job in the role. And I don't mean to take anything away from from his, his huge body of work. But with the unshaven face, he didn't fit in with the rest of the Centauri. He, he, he looked like a bum. Again, that's totally nitpicky. So <laughs> That's interesting. No, yeah, we had to go down deep. Because mine, yeah, I don't know. Mine was trying to sell us on the Ranger being some kind of a threat. I mean, I, you know, they, they kept the first half of the episode, they kept pl- playing up who's this mysterious guy lurking in the shadows. Right. That's And, you know, Garibaldi has to ambush him. And, I mean, maybe it's that we already knew who they were and we know he's a good guy. But I just, I don't think I ever, even the first time, bought that this was some evil secret agent. You know, he always just seemed right. like a very earnest guy that was there with a message or something. So, I don't know. And you know, I, I I don't remember what my reaction was the first time that that I watched this episode. What my reaction to him was because I I don't even remember it. Yeah. I mean, I remember that there was a ranger there. I just don't remember what he looked like, what his lines were, or anything like that. I mean, he I, I guess he's just not that. He he, he wasn't Marcus, so That's he true. wasn't as memorable. No, no, few are, few are. Right. I do not have an Orenzento Ari Benzano Overacting Award this episode. I did not find one. Absolutely not. I mean, if anything, it should go the other way, and and mm. there would be multiple awards for just incredible acting. Oh, yeah. I mean, not not just Jakar and Lando either. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the you could have given a whole a whole truckload of them out. I mean, it was just such a superb episode Absolutely. as far as the acting. Most Babylon Five scene. I actually have a tie. You know me; I always cheat and have multiple things here. But what do you got for most Babylon Five scene? My most Babylon 5 scene was uh, when Jakar was uh, sitting in the council chambers and he states that the, the war had been declared, that the Centauri or that the Narn regime declared war on the Centauri Republic. That was it was just a, a, a death knell for the, the status quo of the show. I mean, it Absolutely. was this changes everything. It's always a good indication that a show is really good when you and I can find completely different things for our categories, for our good categories, and yet they're they're all legit. You know what I mean? We're finding right. legit right. things. It's just what you happen to think of, what I happen to think of. <clears throat> My tie, one was Londo dr- having a dream, because the Centauri having this prophetic ability, and he sees the shadow ships, he sees himself as emperor, he sees himself being killed by Jakar. I mean, that's like half of the rest of the show potentially you right. know that's being shown right. to you so that one i had to include that but i mean there's also a scene where kosh comes up and tells the emperor how the show's going to end right in yeah i mean that how, that floored me how will it end in fire and i have a uh, spoiler as you might guess for that a little bit later on when we get into spoiler space so all right and it, you know what? What made that scene that much more impactful was the fact that Kosh doesn't come out for anything. He he blows the the council meetings away. Like yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, you never Kosh just doesn't come out. And for him to pay a visit to the emperor, that you knew that that was an important moment. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm just getting our little soundboard ready for when it's time to do that in a little while. Ah, okay, there we go. Um, so let's see. Favorite character moment my favorite character moment when was when uh, captain sheridan was talking to uh, emperor turhan just the whole the whole speech the emperor gave to him um about you know how 
I've never chosen anything for myself. And for the first time I've finally chosen to do the right thing. And I thought that was, it, it was, it was, we have never even met this character before, but you, it, it, it carried so much, uh, pathos, you know, mm-hmm. you, you just got his entire life story in that one short paragraph, two or three sentences. And, uh, it was so well delivered and so well written and so well acted that, uh, I thought that was just a really super cool character moment. I really felt bad for the guy, especially knowing, oh, yeah. you know, what happens. You know, oh, yeah. if if Londo had just waited an hour or two to, mm. to give that order, the whole show would have been different. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been nearly as exciting. But you know that <laughs> you just feel it's like, oh no. So and yeah. that that line right there and that that scene right there was just such a cool character moment. Oh, by the way, I meant to mention this on our little details. Mr. Morden is talked about, and Mr. Morden clearly does things, and yet we don't ever see him this episode. Was he just hanging out, shopping in the Zocalo, and that's how how uh, Veer found him? We don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't. We know. never. I, I was trying to think, but no, I don't. I don't remember seeing him anywhere. Mm-mm. No, L- Londo tells Jakar, go find Mr. Morden and tell him, you know, whatever. And Veer's like, Londo, no, please don't do this. And Veer, Londo's like, I might have to do it myself. No, you won't have to do it yourself. But there's gonna come a day, you know. And then Veer goes off, and the next thing we know, rah, 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 you know. So these are our budget special effects. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, we just see the uh, we see the result. We never actually right. see. Because uh, I would have said if you asked me which episode, if you had asked me like a month ago or a week ago, even is Mister Morden in Coming of Shadows? I'd be like, of course, right. he's well, not. Yeah. He's not. He's not in. Well, it. you know, Veer must have his pager number. Yeah. You know, you know, everybody on Babylon Five probably has a pager because they drink Zima and read newspapers. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing Veer texting him, like, right. you know, poopy. He probably says like "poopy head Morden" on his little screen, and he's like, ah, "Londo needs to see you re, you know what?" A little smi- a little smiley face pops up. I'll be right there, smiley face. Oh boy, oh that's fun. My favorite character moment was. When Franklin relays the Emperor's message to Jakar about wanting to apologize, I thought that Franklin actually yeah. did a really good job there. Of He came all the way across here, risked his health and everything, to apologize. And Jakar's like, what? You know, that was, yeah. that was very effective. So I thought that one deserved a shout, though I agree yours is really good, too. Um, what was your... F- There's not a lot of funniest moments in this episode, but I did find one. So what was your funniest moment? I actually found two that made me chuckle a little bit. Uh, the first one was when uh, Jakar went to look for Londo to thank him. Actually, that was the second one, but the, the, the other one's even funnier. And Londo is looking for a way to escape him. I mean, we know that Jakar is going there to, to thank him and to, to raise a glass to the Emperor. Londo thinks that Jakar is there to kill him, and he's running around like crazy trying to get away from him. I thought that was pretty funny. But even funnier than that was when Jakar, I forget who Jakar was talking to, and he was talking about the emperor dying before he could assassinate him. That's he it. Said, then he just had the nerve to go and die before I could kill him. He says, maybe they could prop him up for a minute. Right. <laughs> That's it. That's the one I had too. That's good. All right, Andy, here we go. Who won this episode? Woo. And the only one, the only person I can think of that came out of this smiling and happy about the entire episode was Rifa. 
Yeah, I forgot about him, and you're 100% right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with I'm going to amend my answer to say that the direct winner was Rifa. The indirect winner was Mr. Morden because he finally got what he's been wanting, which is to right. push the Centauri to take his help and accept his help and do something like this. And if, if Mr. Morden had actually appeared in the episode, I would have given it to him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, directly, absolutely, Rifa, indirectly, Morden. That's not yep. good when those two are your winners. That's not a good right. sign. That's very troubling when those two are your winners, man. This this episode was aptly named. Yes. Yes, it was. What's your rating? I gave this one a, a 4.5. It, it's, it's not a five-star episode for me. Because I mean, there, there's a couple of them that that I gave a five star to over the five seasons, but this one is almost there, uh, not quite there. Four point five, it is. We are in agreement. Four point five. five. And and for you viewers who are watching the show for the first time, that we are trying so hard not to spoil. Hopefully, we're doing that. We're we're, we're adhering to that. It should tell you quite a bit that Andy and I agreed. That this episode, which was so great and won the freaking Hugo Award over Toy Story and Apollo 13, did not get a coveted five stars. So there are episodes coming that get five stars. So buckle your rear end up, folks, because it's <laughs> going to get better. It's going to get even better. All right. Yeah, well, but before I, that... Said- it- Go ahead. I've said before, and I'll say it again, when this show gets it in the gear and takes off, it just takes off, and it doesn't slow down. Right. I mean, it's it's like going from, from last to first in the Indy 500 and not even looking in the mirrors. <laughs> Unfortunately, as it's getting better, there are times that it gets a little worse. Right. And that's going to take <laughs> us to our other episode tonight, but, but... <laughs> But before we get to that, we have to thank the folks who keep this show going. We would not exist and be here without you. Um, These these are our great patrons. Go to patreon.com. All you got to do is go to www.b5review, B and a 5 and review.com, B and a 5 and review.com. I believe if you go to Babylon 5 Review, if you go to Babylon5reviews.podbean.com, which is the archive where, where, where Podbean actually posts our episodes. I believe the link to the Patreon is also embedded in each of the uh, episode descriptions in the show notes. So you got plenty, or just go to patreon.com and search for White Rocket or Van Plexico, and it'll come up. So you got a lot of ways to get there, but just go sign up, become a patron. You get early access to this show. You'll get access to other things along the way. We just posted, Andy and I did a review of Last of the Mohicans with a couple of other great folks that joined us for it. I'm very proud, Andy, that White Rocket Entertainment now has two female uh, movie and TV review reviewers as part of our family. I'm, I, we should have had it a long time ago, so I'm only proud that we are getting normal and not being totally male-centric. So I'm just... We're catching up to the rest of the world. We're still a decade behind, but we've got two great, great women who are part of the family, uh, and and that's Kathy Bright and Susan Martin Polite, and they both are awesome. And Kathy joined us to talk about Last of the Mohicans, 
And yeah. that was that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. That I was thought. a lot of fun. That was a fantastic conversation. And, and uh, the the two the two other guests you had on there were mm-hmm. uh, they were fantastic. It, w- it was a really cool conversation. And I got to geek out about one of my favorite media franchises of all time. So yeah, and we had Jared, the yard sale artist, on there too, who is a big part of our Bond shows and has been on this uh, been on this network for a long time too. He's the inker for the for the White Rocket comics too. So yeah. Um, so go to www.b5review.com, click on the button that says become a patron, and join up. Here are some of the fine folks. This is the part Andy likes the best. Here are the fine folks who are currently supporting our network, and you can be part of this list. And w- one of the biggest appeals people find is you can put whatever you want as your name, and I have to read whatever you put down. And you can fit a lot of text in there. That is the most there. appealing part for me. Absolutely. So here are the folks and what they put down that they want me to say. Most of them are names, but occasionally we get a little something else. So we have to thank Samuel Salvatore, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Jeremiah Schumann, Patrick Hayes, Allison Rich, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, J.J. Pegues, Logan Chilton, Matthew Flowers, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Ann Kangian, Are You Falling Up, Auburn Tiger Talk, Ben Bloodworth, Cajun Gene Chizik, Chris Thrash, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, Bobby, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Atsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Lisa Hammett, Science Officer, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf of the Weather Channel, Rich Reimer, Smoke Em If You Got Em, Steve Harlan, Tank Hunter, there goes Davis, Valiant Hermes, and we have a few more. WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Around the Bowl and Down the Hole, RTR, Auburn Blue, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Brandon the Smith, Brian the Albanese, Cato the Barner, and Chris the Hilton. That's the V portion of the program. Colby Butler, Darris Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Helping Van upgrade his insulation. This is when I talked about my wife can hear me doing the show down here in the palatial White Rocket Studios. I really got to insulate the ceiling here. Hugh Anderson, <laughs> Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley. NC State is as real as Georgia State. Okay. Algorithm. Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch. It's cool that Sasquatch listens to our shows. Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston. This is the year Bo Nix has improved so much on this new offense. He's focused. He's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if. Tim Pittman, <laughs> Timothy, Tony Perry. Van needs to listen to hellbentatl.com. Now, see, this guy's got it going on. He's paying, you know, a couple of dollars a month to get his website publicity. I think that's, that's awesome. brilliant. Yeah. If you got a website that you want me to read the name of, just put it in as your name. I'll, I'll read it again. Van needs to listen to hellbentatl.com. Cool. Alex Wynn, Auburn Elvis, Baker's out of TP. <laughs> that's from the TV commercial. <laughs> ben Amos. Ben Rigas, Bo and Aubie, don't shake Baker's hand when he comes out of the bathroom. This is all about my TV commercial. I wrote the, I wrote the uh, the Heisman House ad with Bo Jackson and Aubie throwing toilet paper in the tree. Couch Fry, uh, C. Braun, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Colonel Dad. <laughs> Come to think of it, John Ringer is also deficient. Why does Bob Sammons listen to this show? <sighs> 
Construction Tiger, Daniel Barnett, David Smiley, Elizabeth Donald, Ice Cream Clone. I'll buy this for a dollar. James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull, Albrick, Albrick, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, John Soundboard, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Kenneth Brent Rains, Michael Halbrook, Michael O'Connor, Paul Bankson, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Sal Canella is upset. We now throw tight ends. Spanky Big Boutet, John and Vanner, Monkey Boys, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brent Rumble, and Chris Plus, our one-time and anonymous donors. That's 136 patrons there that I have to list, so I appreciate everybody's patience. Go to www.b5review.com or patreon.com to sign up and join the family. All right, Andy. We made it through that nightmare. Oh, I have one other note. Have you noticed that the Babylon 5 Facebook page has not been accepting new posts the last couple of days? I noticed that. Yeah. Apparently, the whole talking about the reboot on CW has caused it to blow up, and they've locked it down. It, it, that amaz- I mean, th- I, I guess it's because it's, it's something new to talk about, and you know how social media is. Any, oh, anything God. worth talking about is worth arguing about, so... Um, it, that has always been a very civil and, and very laid back place, and and the it wow, <laughs> right? It, it's it, it got real crazy. It's civil, which when it locked down to for me to post Babylon Five stuff, I had to go to the other big Babylon Five page. I think it's called like the dark side of Babylon Five, and oh yeah, it is because within one post, I had people trying to argue with me and call me names. So I'm like, well, there we go. Bunch of yeah, jerks. Bunch of jerks on the dark side Babylon 5 page is what they are, Andy. They're a bunch of jerks. Hey, now, that, that's potential uh, potential listeners there. Ah, many of them are very fine people, but they have their share. <laughs> they have their share. If, they, if you try to start a fight with me in the last 24 hours, I'm lumping you in. Otherwise, you're very good and very fine, and I, and I appreciate you. <laughs> Let's go. It is, it's not... It's not yep. going to get any better until this show actually hits the air. So it's yeah. going to be a long. And, and then it, it, somebody and posted something that that it, it'll hit the air next fall. The the way mm. JMS tweeted about how the the process of of getting a TV show from concept to airing is, and the con the the, the process is they they request you know a pilot in the fall. You spend all winter writing it. Come January, you record it. In the springtime, they view it and decide if it's going to be a series or not. Come summer, you start. If they take up the series, you start uh, um, recording the series, so that airs in the fall. So if everything falls, and JMS knows TV like nobody else, so if if everything goes according to plan, we might see something, uh, you know, this time next year. Wow! Yeah, that would be amazing. Well, we'll give us even more to talk about. Uh, in we'll between. have to do a, a, an, an ancillary show for. We'll fit everything in one way or another. We'll get it in. I guarantee you that. All right. 210 Gropos for Ground Pounders. Uh, my summary comes from the Lurker's Guide, as always. Dr. Franklin's father arrives, leading 25,000 ground-pounding soldiers on the station. It says soldiers. I think they're Marines. Marines don't like to be called soldiers. The troops' arrival elicits fear from both humans and non-humans that the troops may be going on a secret mission that will involve the station becoming an armed camp. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, this episode has no A-plot. Right. There's no story. There's... There are some nice B and C level character interactions while the soldiers are there, yeah. but there there is no a plot. Right, I agree. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, we'll get to it. Yeah, I, 
I will note, uh, going back to what you just said about whether they're Marines or soldiers, the whole Earth Force, you <laughs> don't know what they are. I mean, the, the nomenclature, you have officer ranks that are completely mixed. I mean, you have generals and captains. I mean, the, a captain in the Navy would be equivalent to, like, maybe a, a, a colonel or yeah, type whatever of in the Army. That's and, correct. and then you've got generals in the army telling the commander or telling the captain in the navy what to do and so i i don't know if earth force is just one one unit with a really uh, blended yeah uh naming and like the scene in the uh, we'll get into it <laughs> <laughs> no i agree there's generals and captains and is there an i don't know if you ever see an admiral so it's really kind I of a know. very mixed system it doesn't make any sense right. at all you, you have generals you know on you know flying or uh, commanding starships it, it doesn't make sense so, something that um jms really could have just paid you know 100 bucks to get a a military guy that's actually been in the military to advise him on just go over a list of stuff that's you know that sounds dumb that doesn't sound dumb so yeah yeah cuz majors are beneath commanders and commander is beneath captain so that's right. more like a naval system but then right. major is more army so and then these guys are marines and i'm very confused so yeah right anyway um let's see the original air date for this one was february 8th 1995 i didn't list the date for the other one but it was i guess february 1st 1995 guess who wrote this one larry detilio I forgot that we still had more Larry Dottilio. I'm I'm afraid to say it's his last one now because I can't swear that it is. There might be another one. In fact, I think there is another one. There I want to say that I want to say that maybe Knives, which is coming up later, was written by him. Maybe I think Could maybe be. maybe more. Directed by Jim Johnston, who did quite a few. Yeah. Um. I, but I have to ask, where were the Jovian sunspots? I know. I th- there was a couple perfect spots for them to to you know introduce that that drink again, but yeah, they never they never mentioned it. So Didn't maybe it? Uh, maybe JMS told them to to knock it off, <laughs> knock off the Jovian sunspots, Larry. Uh, notable guest stars. There's just there were a bunch of minor ones, but the two I noted are Paul Winfield as General Franklin and Marie Marshall as Dodger, and I feel like that's yeah. the main ones we needed to note, right? Yeah, right. And Paul Winfield was. For, for people who can't quite place him, he was the uh, police ca- I think he was a police captain in, in Terminator. Oh, yeah. He was, and he was also the captain of uh, um, the, what was it, the Endeavor in Star Trek Two. The Reliant. The Reliant, yeah. He was the original captain of the Reliant before uh, it was taken over by Khan. That's right. Um, so. Yep, that's him. So, a couple of random factoids and notes from me. Keffer returns. I knew you'd be excited. <laughs> That's one of my categories. <laughs> ah, yes. There you go. We'll get to that. Franklin's sister is working on her third doctorate. So that family really is a bunch of overachievers. Makes the rest of us look bad. And, and we find out why in this episode. Yeah. Garibaldi's father, Alfredo, of course he was Alfredo, uh, served under General Franklin in the Dilgar War and was a well-regarded soldier. That, that, that is actually one of, one of my other categories ah. right there. <laughs> I have a note here. What is the deal with Io? They pronounce it Io in this episode. Right. Yeah, I was that that was another one of my categories. <laughs> but gosh, I'm sorry, but but what is the deal with it cuz they act like it's this giant thriving planet in the middle of an empire instead of being a volcanic moon of Jupiter. And this isn't the first right. time. I think I think it's Larry Dottilio that that 
is responsible for this. I, I think it's in, I don't know, maybe it's yeah. not entirely in his episodes, but yeah, EO is a moon of Jup- Jupiter or Saturn? Uh, Jupiter. So it is closer to Earth than three other planets, yet they're using the jump gate to get to it? I mean, they got to fly further away from Earth to get to the jump gate than they would to fly to EO. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that that made zero sense to me. I'm like, wait a minute, why are you coming all the way out, halfway across the galaxy to Babylon Five to go back to the solar system to visit a planet that's two planets, or to visit a moon that's circling a planet two planets away from you? And and um and why are you taking twenty five thousand Marines to a place that surely nobody can live? I'm assuming it's right. like a space station orbiting EO IO EIEIO. Yeah, we'll we'll call it EO because that was you know. Okay. That was that was the correct pronunciation. As, as I I, again, out. I still think it's both, but that's fine. Uh, we find out that Franklin spent some time working with Earth Force in the last war, I guess the Minbari War, trying to find ways to defeat aliens. So that's some of that a uh, little of that um, uh, chemical and biological weapon research that he did before he suddenly developed his conscience and became holier than thou. Right. And I like and that, I think that his dad refers that was, to that. Right, that was mentioned in an earlier episode, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, if it, I think it is, and I think it's mentioned in one of the movies. Yeah, I, I think it was mentioned in Infection because we we talked about it. Yeah, yeah, and it comes up again in one of the movies that we're going to get to later on. Um, yeah, and I I did like how uh, his his uh, uh, strong headed moral sense of superiority gets called out by Captain Sheridan in this one. So I thought. Oh that yeah, good. that was going to say that when Sheridan and Do- and General Franklin talk about Stephen. They're both like he's stubborn. He's he'll fight like you know heck to for his principles and everything. And I thought, yeah, that's the Franklin we know for sure. Yeah, it, is this the first time we've seen the framed portrait of Daffy Duck on Garibaldi's wall? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think when uh, I thought when Lanier was in his oh yeah on that motorcycle, I think they may have shown it then. That's it. You're right. That was the first time. Okay, we see it again. You know. At some point in time, and they uh, a missed opportunity, they should have had either Veer or Londo see that portrait and say, "Oh, a cat." <laughs> that's great. Oh man, yes. Oh, that's brilliant. That's very good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> All right, I got. I've got. I got one last important thing of mine. Then I got a couple of quotes from JMS. For me, the station gets massively upgraded defense systems, which is very important because now the station can go up against a big vessel and hold its own. That's good. Since we yeah. know the Great War another, is coming upon us all. All right, another one of my categories. Man, you're just you're going to make this conversation real quick. <laughs> well, it is grow post after all. I figured it'd be five minutes. Uh, all right, and, and then I'm going to quote JMS a couple of times. JMS had some interesting things. JMS said, for grow post, that one episode was so far over budget that I had to write two smaller episodes to make up for it, and the many people you saw were really just one small group that took forever to digitally comp- composite into looking like a much bigger group. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah. And somebody asked, who was the woman Garibaldi referred to that he normally doesn't have a chance with? Remember, he said he was dating the one woman that got away from him. Then he was kind of interested in the woman he normally didn't have a chance with. And then there's Dodger. And they said, well, who was the middle one? And they said that. And JMS says that would be Talia. Well, yeah, I thought that was self-evident. Yeah, I, but I, he didn't say it, so somebody was asking. And, oh, okay. and it was never made explicit that they were together. And, and in fact, right. you know how the season goes. Um, and then he says that JMS says everything in the battle sequence at the end of Gropos is CGI. No models, despite the shadows, small S shadows, 
Real right. fire was, <laughs> and you and I have talked about how fire doesn't look great in CGI. He says real fire was sampled for the flames, though. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. All right. Did so. Well, the the only ahead. thing that I have to, to add, and only because this is a Larry Dottilio episode, and and I mentioned this to you uh, on Facebook not too long ago. I, I was looking through some of my old role playing game uh, adventures um, for a game called Pendragon, which is just a fantastic game. Back in the mid '80s, what the, the this uh, role playing game adventure was written by, and I was looking on the cover, and it, I had to do a double take, and it was written by a Larry Dottilio. I'm like, there, uh, there's no way that's the same guy. So I, I looked it up, and sure enough, during a writer strike in the '80s. Larry Dottilio took a break from writing television and wrote, because he was, I guess, a game fan, I don't know, wrote some role-playing games. And this is one of the most revered and one of the most popular role-playing game adventures ever written. I mean, it was, it was, it's mind-boggling that it was the same Larry Dottilio. I, wow. I, was, I was absolutely floored. What's the name of it? The, uh, you know me and my memory, the, the name of the game is Pendragon. And, oh, Pendragon, okay. And... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's Arthurian, which is another one of my big you know mm-hmm. geek things. I'm I'm a huge fan of of uh, the Arthurian legend. So yeah, I, I I'll have to look up the the name of it. I can't think of it right off the top of my head. I'm I'm lucky if I remember what I had for breakfast every week. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 a spectacular spectacular uh, adventure though. Very cool, very cool. All right, so let's get on into Gropos and get through it. What was your high point of this episode? High point for the episode was uh, Keffer making a comeback. I thought that was kind of neat to see him again finally. Um, and uh, Dodger kicking butt in that in that first uh, fight scene between her and, and the the bad guys. I thought that was really well. The bad guy Gropos. I mean, you know, they they had three Gropos that were you know comic bookish villains, yeah. and, and it was really funny to, to watch her kick butt. I was a little. I, I have no idea what what rank Keffer is at this point because. The, the 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 just the enlisted guys were picking a fight with him like he was just some sort of other enlisted guy which would have gotten them thrown in the brig for years for punching an officer you know I, I thought you had to be an officer to, to, to fly anything I, I don't know I, I thought he was at least a lieutenant which which no enlisted guy with you know in the right mind would would throw a punch at in a, in a bar but I don't know yeah um I think his official uh, rank as of this episode was Flyboy. <laughs> they can't <laughs> call him that. I, but yeah, know, that, that j- just having him back was cool. The um, I could not find a high point for this episode. And I don't mean that way that yeah. it was really a bad episode. I just couldn't find any moment that stood out. I mean, I guess Franklin and his father is cool, but, eh, you know, it wasn't that exciting. And I, I you know, I mean... You, I, I wanted... I wanted to say that Franklin and his father were, were the high point, but that actually made a different category for me. So, uh, okay. yeah, I, I, I couldn't even say that. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to pass. I just honestly, I don't have a high point. Well, yeah. let me go ahead and say my low, my low point was the bald headed Marine that kept picking a fight with everybody. His name might as right. well have been Private Plot Device. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it, if he had any body hair at all he would be twirling a mustache but he was completely bald i don't even think he had eyebrows so yeah, yeah he was he was definitely a comic book villain it was it was a little over the top he he existed to start fights with people when fights needed to be started right uh oh the orenzento ari benzane overacting award we have 
Hey, winner, yes. at least on my side. Can I give a low point, though? You, you skipped my low point. Well, dang it, Andy. I guess I will allow you to have a low point. <laughs> I mean, I bothered to write one down. So, By all uh, means. My low point for me was all the melodrama. It was so yeah. melodramatic. It was it, – and just – it, and what takes the cake? It what could it could have the 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 dynamics between Franklin and his father could have been so cool, and it could have been a really important character moment and and all that. And the acting wasn't terrible. It was the writing. It was just just atrocious. It would and the, the oh golly when he busted in on that planning scene when they were doing the the planning. You know this was high end military planning you know mm-hmm. this this was they were getting ready to commit 25,000 lives to battle yes and franklin comes in to whine about you know daddy you never told me you loved me type of stuff and it was like <laughs> wait what oh what? no i i being probably the largest franklin fan on this podcast i wanted to smack him you know i i was like get out of here with that nonsense i, I so, thought yeah. and it, you can't i'm sorry i thought you were going no, you, you can't blame the actors for it. It was it was the writing was so terrible. If General Franklin knew what we knew, he probably could have said, Now, Stephen, isn't there some wayward young lady out there that needs medical attention and your advances? <laughs> <laughs> and Garibaldi was playing the part of Franklin when it came to, to that. Yeah. I mean, he was he was putting moves on Dodger. I mean, he <laughs> he was on duty told uh, not uh, told uh, Lou to take care of things for him while he went off and, and took this girl on a date and then took her back to his his quarters to shag her all while on duty I'm like dude and and, that, and then uh, has a crisis a conscience crisis in right the of all that. you he was out Franklining Franklin I mean I was like wow that that takes some some nerve if JMS had written this episode Dodger would have gotten injured at the very beginning of the episode there would have been like a shuttle crash She'd have gotten injured. She'd have been taken to med lab, and Franklin would have like set her bones and been like, "So you know, my quarters are just <laughs> down the hall." <laughs> oh yeah. man! And Franklin would not have like freaked out in the middle of it and said, "Wait, I have a girlfriend that I kind of like that doesn't like me." Um. So yeah, what happens when I skip you? By the way, is on those rare occasions when I go first, I usually let you go first, and so I forget that I haven't let you go first. So I apologize for that. <laughs> That's fine. But yeah, the, the next category we have a clear winner for. D- do it, clear do it. winner. Do it, do the it. Sergeant, yes! Sergeant Major. Touchdown! Oh my goodness! It's yes! like to prepare for this, he watched Full Metal Jacket, and that was his entire preparation for this role. Uh, it was so over the top and so ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, these these guys are hard hardened Marines or hardened troops. They're not raw recruits in boot camp. I mean, it was just so bad. And this is another thing that that had JMS pass the script in front of any Joe Schmo that had been in the military for more than you know basic training could have told him, you know, this is really dumb. You know, that I mean, it, it, all he had to do was just get a, a technical advisor with military experience to tell him, yeah, that wouldn't that character wouldn't act like that at all. Yeah. Again, I I I don't know if it was the writing or if or if he was directed to act like that or what, but he really went over the top with his with his uh, uh acting. I'm sorry you feel this way cuz I was planning on on running the, the running our podcast like that for the rest of the rest <laughs> of the season. I was going to be like, "All right, Andy, you maggot, move it, move it." 
<laughs> Only if you use your writing crop. Yeah. <laughs> God. Oh, man. All right. So what was your most Babylon 5 scene? Get us out of here, out of that. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way, to the sergeant for winning the award now. Right. Yeah. He, he might be the last winner. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fav- most favorite Babylon 5 scene, and you touched on this earlier, was the uh, defense upgrade because that that made Babylon 5 uh, able to you know, survive, perchance, a battle with other capital ships, you know, just in case that might happen. Ah, who's saying? We don't know. Just in case, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, the, the Great War is coming upon us all, so it's not a bad right. idea to have the latest guns. And and it should be uh, noted that uh, Sheridan was the first one to say, uh, no, this is not a warship. This is a, a, a place of peace. I mean, you know, General General Bloom to heck was, was getting a little uh, uh, trepidatious about putting bigger guns on the, the ship. So I thought that was very I, – I wasn't expecting that reaction from him. I thought he'd be like, oh, yeah, great, more guns. That's, that's what we need. But no, he was like, eh, this is a peaceful station. We don't need that. Yeah. Of course, he's probably, you know <laughs> – there, there, there could be opportunity for him to be to, to revisit that, that yes. uh, attitude. <laughs> yes, I think we can safely safely say that. But uh, yeah, for now, absolutely, it's it seems like a little overkill. Um, my most Babylon Five scene was I think that was good was when that same bald marine that we hated confronted Delin about the Battle of the Line because while it was a terrible scene and a terrible character, it was interesting to me to hear that history that we heard so much in the first season, and it kind of has fallen off since Chrysalis and and since the first episode or the second episode of this season, we haven't heard much about the whole Minbari War and anything like, you know, that was like the second biggest plot really in the first season to some degree. Right. And, and to hear it brought back up again and for somebody to say to her, you know, like, what were you doing? That's good, and and it's it, you could tell it had an effect on Delin. She was kind of like, I don't know what to say to you. I'm going to run away here. Yeah, right, right. And you know, it, it, I I gotta say that um, the the biggest disappointment about this episode was it could have been so good. Yeah, the yeah. themes that they presented and the ideas that they presented were were very good. Like I said, the the, the scenes between the the two Franklins could have been great if, mm-hmm. the, if they had been written better. That scene could have been more powerful if you know mm-hmm. if it had been written a little bit better. It, mm-hmm. it, every it was so close. I mean, it got everything wrong. But if it, if they had just flipped them the, the the other way, it could have been a spectacular uh, episode. I think. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent agree. Let me let me be clear now because I, I I revisited what I said and I want to make sure I'm clear, everybody. That scene was that I was mentioning was a hundred percent that marine being a horrible, out of line, terrible, terrible person. And Delenn was right. She hadn't done anything to provoke him, and he and he had absolutely no business even saying anything to her. Uh, although, by the way, it was funny that later Dodger finds out that she was the ambassador of the Minbari, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, that was the ambassador!" So that at least we got a little bit of uh, of thing there. But what I meant was, as much as it was a hundred percent the Marine and zero percent Delenn's fault or whatever, um, and Delenn was completely in the right. Even so, I'm just saying it was interesting to have a human confronting Delenn. With stuff she doesn't get confronted with much because Sheridan can't really say, you know, Sheridan has to be nice. He has to be nice with her, and he genuinely likes her, so he's not going to go around bringing that up. But this dude brought it up in a horrible, horrible way, but he did bring it up, and it's interesting to see her reaction when she does have to be reminded that it wasn't that long ago that she was trying to commit genocide on the entire human race. Now, that's right. on her. And 
Right. Babylon 5 is a pretty cosmopolitan place. So she, the, most of the people she runs into are people who are used to seeing aliens <coughs> and are not necessarily even human. So for the first time, she runs across a human that was actually fought in the war and it, it does not have a, a positive attitude about her. So, yeah, that, that, that had to be a shock for her. Yeah. So as bad of a scene as it was, like you said, it had the potential and there was enough potential there for me to think, yeah, you know, okay. What was your favorite character moment this time? And I'm really curious. Uh, my favorite character moment was, was <laughs> there wasn't, <laughs> I was so disappointed with, with the, how awesome the character moments between Franklin and his father could have been that I really had to struggle to find a character, uh, a, a really decent character moment for this, but I did find one and I, let me read it to you. Uh, Commander Ivanova sitting in her, her, in her seat, right? It was, I think the opening line and she says, no traffic, no complaints, no noise. Traders, troublemakers, and ambassadors all tucked snugly in their beds. I love this time of night. I thought that was great. And then, mm-hmm. of course, her second in command says, it's always night in space. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I had the fav- my favorite character moment was Susan talking to Stephen and saying, I mean, it just was powerful. I mean, in fact, to me, that might have been the high point of the episode, too, as well as my favorite character moment, now that I think about it, which is that we saw Susan go through what she went through with her father when he passed away. So right. when she refers to something out of her own experience, we've seen that experience. We know right. what she's exactly what she's talking about. So she, I, I just love that, you know, if we didn't know that, if this was some other show, or if we didn't know that about Susan already, then when then when Franklin when Stephen says you know what he says about his dad and I don't know and I don't know if I'm you know Susan might have been like well you know that's too bad I hope that things work out you know hope that hope it'll work out that well that's too bad I'm sorry to hear that Stephen instead she's just like talk to him Stephen you've got to I mean she's just like vehement you know what I mean you've got to talk right. to him because I didn't and here I am you know right and, and I that was really powerful to me. And that was one of those things that we talked about where Ivanova's experiences, you know, kind of go through thread through all the, the episodes and all the and the force or and, and all the episodes that she's she's in. I mean, if this were on Star Trek, that would have been uh, Counselor Troy coming in and just dropping some platitudes to say, oh, yeah, you got to go talk to him. But here it's very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something like you said that we have experience with Susan, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 20 episodes ago or however many episodes ago that was. And, and it, it, it made it that much more powerful and, and made me love Susan Ivanova that much more. As if that was even possible, but yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Do you have a funniest moment this time around? <clears throat> the only one that, that actually made me chuckle other than that first line was uh, when uh, General Franklin first meets the, the command staff and he asks, uh, 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 well, he, he mentions Garibaldi's dad's name and, and, Garibaldi was like, well, yeah, that was my dad. And he's like, well, so much for genetics. <laughs> because the uh, other two officers are properly at ease because he says at ease. And the other right. two officers go at ease. And, and Garibaldi puts his hands in his pockets, which is like totally that's the, the last thing you want to do in front of an officer would put your hands in your pocket. So that's why he was like, yeah, so much for genetics. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure why I said it. I didn't catch that. But there is the fact that Garibaldi is not exactly part of the chain of command anyway, right? He's a he's like a he's like a mercenary almost. He was hired with a contract. I I, I don't know. I, I think he's part of Earth Force. Again, it, get, it gets to the whole muddled mess that is Earth Force. I right. don't know if if he's a, a, a contractor 
like a cop, like a civilian who, mm-hmm. you know, who works for the military. That's the word I was looking the, for is contract. Yeah. yeah. So I, I honestly don't know. But he flies a Star Fury. So, I, you know, it's not like they let cops take, you know, <laughs> uh, F-18s out for a spin. I know. So I I, I I honestly don't I don't know if that's been addressed anywhere. If if there's I mean if if you go you know if you're talking about Star Trek you know you have whole books written about you know Starfleet and the ranks and the insignia and all all that. The, I don't know if anything like that's been done for for Babylon Five. I don't know if that's in any of the role playing games or or what. I have some of those books. I'm gonna have to dig one out and take a look because man, the, the whole the whole military uh, structure is is just a mess. I've got somewhere the. I'm gonna slide it out now since you mentioned it. I've got the Earth Alliance fact book from there the Babylon, you go. from the Babylon Five RPG. So I'm gonna check. Yeah. I'm gonna look into that when we get off the show. I've got the uh, the RPG books for Earth and Minbari, the Minbari, the Centauri, the Narn, and the Vorlons and the Shadows. I believe. I think that's what I've got. So um, you know, I never, cool I never got into that RPG. As, oh, I as big never. as an RPG. A Babylon Five fan as I was, and as big as an RPG fan I was, you'd figure that at some point in time those two interests would have intersected. But I never got, I never got into that game. I don't like RPGs. I don't like playing them. But um, I have, I have a number of books just because I like the stuff. Yeah, I've got the Babylon Five ones. I've got some, um, I've got some good ones on like Alpha Centauri that I use as references when I wrote Alpha Omega, the novel. I got a few nice. others. Um, <clears throat> My funniest moment, that was yours, right? My funniest moment was, I guess I just said as close as it came was when, you know, Keffer and the two Marines that were billeted in his room, they had a few couple of amusing, you know, they had a couple of amusing scenes where they almost fought and then they kind of made friends and then they fought other people and they were kind of buddies. And I have to admit, you know, at the end of the episode, we do need to address that. I don't really have a category for that, but we do need to address the end of the episode I was kind of surprised that Dottilio and Straczynski did went where they did. I guess I shouldn't have been in retrospect to kill all those people. That really surprised yeah. me. That every one of them, as far as I know, other than the general, right? Every one of the ones that we got to right. know died. Well, they were all in that same unit, and that was the for what what I figured, or what what it came across to me as when they showed when they're doing that newscast and they show that marine or that troop transport getting shot down. Um, it was while they were assaulting the the citadel, mm-hmm. and a, a stray missile comes out and blows that that uh, troop transport out of the sky, and it crashes. I'm pretty sure they were all on that. Wow. Yeah, it did look yeah. like they were in wreckage rather than just being shot on a battlefield. It seemed like. Right. Right. Yeah, that's really really depressing. Uh, there, Larry and Joe. Good job. Um, and you, I. I, I I have to say that the reactions from uh, Garibaldi and Keffer were, were well done. Um, they, mm-hmm. they didn't, you know, that, that as melodramatic as this show was, yeah. that scene could have been really melodramatic and overdone, and it was very understated and, and very good. It really was, yeah. Because Stephen kind of gets, you know, kind of celebrates when he sees his dad on television or whatever it is, on ISN. Right. And then, oh, by the way, we had Maggie Egan as the reporter again. And then... Um, yeah, Garibaldi looks at the casualty list and then he kind of hands it back and walks away and you know he knows. Mm-hmm. And and then, yeah, Keffer's just kind of standing there at the end, which is really strong. So yeah, that was the strongest part of the episode, I think. It, it's just, it was so depressing and sad, it's hard to call it a high point. It's kind of the low right. point that's the high point, I guess is fair. Right. I wanted to work that in somehow. I, I thought maybe favorite character moment, but like you said, it's just so darn depressing. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. Eh. Yeah. No, I agree. 
I agree. But it was that was fairly well done. Okay, who won this episode? Uh, <laughs> Not us. Doc, right. <laughs> Dr. Franklin won this one because he yeah. reconciled with his dad. Yeah. And his dad survived. No, I agree. I had Dr. Franklin, and I also said the station because it got new weapons. There you go. Got bigger guns. Station weapons. Here's the real question. What is your rating? I, I want you to go first on this one. I want to hear what you got to say. Oh, I like when Andy pulls the, pulls the twist. Pull a little twist on me there. I like it. All right. I really wrestled with this. I kind of started in the middle and worked my way back a little bit. And I finally decided, as much for what it tried to do as what it actually accomplished, I gave it a 2. Yeah. 2.0. I did, too. And I gave it a 2 because, like I said, it could have been so – they were so close, you know? Yeah. If yeah. they had oh, just, yeah. just gone through a second draft of the script or something, or if, mm-hmm. if they had given it to – to JMS to, to go over, to, to, mm-hmm. to doctor it up a little bit. It could have been a really powerful episode. They had some great themes. The whole, you know, that, that scene when, when Franklin calls his dad a murderer. I mean, that that could have been so powerful. Yeah. yeah but, you know, the, the writing was just bad. So it, yeah. it could have been good. So I, I gave it an extra half star for that potential. It is interesting to me that we, we both had the same number – for both episodes tonight. Yeah, that's very Four, unusual. 4.5 and 2. That's remarkable. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. All right. Well, our next installment, let me scroll down because I didn't write it down. Oh, okay. Interesting. We have one of those that I remember very well what happens in it based on the title. And we have one of those that I have no freaking clue what it's about based on the title. We've talked about this several times before, Andy, right? There's like, right. there's probably a dozen episodes at most. Most of them were in the first season, so we've already covered most of them. Some of them are in the second season. Some of them are in the fifth season. I think third and fourth I'm pretty solid on, but first right. and fifth have a lot of the ones that have these very generic titles. And, you know, in other words, like you hear The Coming of Shadows, you know exactly what happens. You hear Chrysalis, right. you know exactly what happens. Honestly, you hear Gropos, you know exactly what happens. But next time we're going to be doing All Alone in the Night, and I know exactly what happens in that one. I know right. who is All Alone in the Night and why. And we're going to be doing Acts of Sacrifice, and I have no clue what happens in Acts of Sacrifice. Uh-huh. No clue. Do you want me to spoil it for you? No, you want to go into this? No, I'm going to go into it cold. Cold, yeah. And by the all way, right. the next two after that are Hunter, Prey, and There All the Honor Lies. And honestly, I don't have any clue what's in either one of those either. So we're into that. <laughs> we're into that kind of middle stretch of season two where you had the coming of shadows, which is kind of like a high point. And then right. you've got episodes that aren't necessarily bad. These are the ones JMS City had to write. To, to make up the money and the special effects time. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see. So we're going to, next time we're going to cover number 211, All Alone in the Night. I'm looking forward to that one. And 212, yeah. Acts of Sacrifice. I have no idea what it's about. And oh, we have to go quickly. Jump gate activated. We are into spoiler space. Where we talk about stuff that if you haven't seen the rest of the series after these two tonight, you don't want to listen. So if you haven't watched Beyond uh, Gropos, go ahead and eject, eject, eject. Now, those that are still with us, they are okay with hearing spoilers. 
Do you have any spoiler space material that you want to throw out there, Andy? I don't. I, I will like to mention that, um, just to touch on what you were just saying, and it, it does fit into spoiler space a little bit, season one was just kind of laying the, the groundwork, just, just like grading the land and, and laying the foundation. Season two is, is building everything up, showing everything that we got. And then season three, and you know where the, where, where the, the switch is flipped, but season three is like, it suddenly just goes even crazier. Um, absolutely. Se- season two is a, a lot more buildup. I mean, it's it's vertical buildup. You you see mm-hmm. what's building up because mm-hmm. it's, it's doing it you know overtly as, as opposed to season one where everything was was very low key. But it's still a lot of buildup and a lot happens. But it's all building towards the you know the 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 big moments that have that we were familiar with in season three and especially season four. So it, it, I, I get that same feeling, you know, that, that you were just mentioning, that, that season two, there's a lot of episodes that are like, well, I don't even know what happens. You know, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't remember off the top of my head what happens. And that's because it, 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 it's not huge, you know, plot moments. It's just a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot more buildup and big, big things happening that build up, but no big, you know, set pieces, you know, no big, huge battle scenes and stuff like that. I mean, there, there's some of that, but... Um, it's not until next season where every single episode is like an oh my god moment. I and and I think there's a certain amount of season two that really is we're having to start over with Sheridan because we lost Sinclair. Right. So you, you're needing you're needing more character shows that kind of help us get to know him. Yep. Like we're having to start over with season one again in some ways. So. Right. Well, yeah, because we have to set up everything that happens with with Sheridan. You know, in season three and four and yeah. five, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it's you know they they were alluding to a relationship between um, Sinclair and and uh, uh, Delenn in the first season, and now suddenly they have to completely start over with that relationship with with Sheridan. So yeah, yep, that's right. Uh, I had just a couple of things. Um, I thought it was interesting that Jakar at one point in, the, in 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 Coming of Shadows says, "For the first time in my life, the path is clear." That's very similar to what Sinclair will say in War Without End Part 2 when he says, I'm like an arrow shot from the bow for the first time in my life. I know exactly what, you know. So that was interesting that it's kind of a parallel there. It echoes it. Um, I thought that it was interesting that that this is the first time in Coming of Shadows that Jakar starts to really transform and you can tell that it's agonizing to him because... When he wants to go kill Londo or the Emperor, Sheridan has to talk him down. And what Sheridan says is, you have to do this for the greater good of your people. You have to bear this. You have to accept it and just take it and not strike back for the greater good of your people. And it and it, it just physically hurts Jakar. He's just like, ah, you know. But it's kind of like he's transforming from the Klingon shouty guy to Gandhi, to space Gandhi. Right. Yeah. And it you, hurts. You can, you can see the character growth happening right in front of your right eyes. Right there. You know? Right there. And it, it physically it, hurts him. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's literal. And it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Awesome. It's really It really cool is amazing. I, I really enjoyed, um, seeing it again, the dream that Londo had. Mm-hmm. Because after the, after the you know, that the, everything in that episode – when Jakar is strangling the life out of Londo and Londo is so fearful that that's going to happen, that he, he turns down the opportunity to become emperor Mm -hmm. yet knowing what happens, you know, in season four, why, how that, that interaction came to be is entirely different from what Londo was thinking it would be. 
Yeah. It's just absolutely. And, and even though he's trying to dodge his fate by turning down, you know, the, the throne, he still ends up there and Jakar still mm-hmm. kills him. But the reasoning behind it, it wasn't, you know, something that, that Londo was thinking right there. So I thought mm-hmm. that was super. Watching that the first time, it's like, oh, yeah, well, man, he's going to get killed by Jakar. Obviously, he's going to get killed by Jakar because of, you know, what happened this episode. But then it, when it hap- when it actually comes you know comes around and it's like wow that was masterfully played that was really well done it really was I like that when the emperor says how will this end and Kai says in fire the episode where it does end is called into the fire and when when I first saw four oh six into the fire when that title came up on the opening screen I said I remembered immediately and I said that is perfect yeah. that is Perfect. I was always so excited that it was called Into the Fire because of that reference, that callback to Kosh. It's almost yeah. like he says, how will this end? And Kosh says, in episode 406, Into the <laughs> Fire. <laughs> and the emperor would have been like, oh, I hope I have my VCR set. <laughs> right. There, there's an old, an old writer's axiom that says, don't shoot or don't introduce a gun in, in the first act unless you shoot somebody in the third act. And the... the uh, um, the flip side of that is don't shoot somebody in the third act unless you've introduced a gun in the first act. I've so, said that um, I've said that my entire writing career. That's Chekhov's yeah. gun, by the way, which and, is funny since Chekhov is on this show as Bester. Right. <laughs> and JMS has introduced a whole a whole armory full of guns yes, that he has. you don't even know are guns until they start going off in season four. So yeah. That is true. I, I agree. This I, I have long when I when explaining this series to people, I've always said it's it's the first true televised novel. I mean, it is a, absolutely. A, a, it is told in, in novel form, and it, well, I, it really absolutely is. I always call it a, a big miniseries. Like people say it's a soap opera. Like a soap opera doesn't have an ending; it just goes on and on and on and on. This is right. a miniseries, like Shogun or Winds of War, over five years, and it's interesting because I was uh, somebody told me the other day. Somebody said, you know, Starlog one eighty two had a preview of Babylon five in it. So I, I have the. Uh, I actually have somewhere around here the, the the DVD ROMs of all the Starlog magazines, and cool. I went and got I went and got issue 182 out, put it on my iPad, and read that article. I've been posting a couple of things on the B5, the other B5 group, which is the other thing I was talking about. And one of the things that JMS says in that interview from before the show even started was, "This is like a miniseries." He says that, and I'm yeah. like, "Finally, that's what I've always said: is it's like a miniseries." Uh, my very last thing, and I'll be done. I didn't like Dodger in this episode the first time I saw it. I didn't like her. I thought she was annoying. Mm-hmm. But after seeing season five's Day of the Dead, I appreciated her more in this one and in that one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I And she didn't annoy me as much. I think the, the poor writing yeah. for the situation she got into and, and stuff like that annoyed me more. I. Th- in the hands of a, a of a better writer, I, I think. Not saying that Larry Dottilio is necessarily a bad writer, but in this particular episode, he did not knock it out of the park. No, I I, th- I think a lot a lot of the stuff that we don't like about this episode just would have would not have been so bad. He gets zero point five Jovian sunspots for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. I'm done. I'm done. Do you have any final thoughts? I don't, sir. I think we covered everything, as we always do. We are very thorough in our discussion. We are very thorough in our hour and a half of solid entertainment for you guys. (laughs) All right, so join us in two weeks for All Alone in the Night 
for the first time, your mind was quiet enough to hear. And for acts of sacrifice, I have no idea what's going to happen, which is fun. All right, we will see you down the road. Andy, take it easy. All right, you do the same, sir. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.